0: I don't think it's typically thought of as a horror movie, but Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf, to me, is one of the scariest movies. It is a roller coaster of a movie, it, it covers every aspect of substance abuse from alcohol and all the many faces.
1: My favorite horror movie is Rocky Horror Picture Show. It's a musical, but it's a horror movie. It's a comedy, but it's a tragedy. And it was trans and it was gay when, well, when that wasn't cool and the audience dresses up, and it's just a laugh and riot.
2: I never used to be a fan of horror films, and i say in the past 10 years or so, I've really realized how much I've been missing out and how much horror films definitely reflect what's going on in our society. Plus, I'm impressed by how many strong female roles are in a lot of horror films, like Toni Collette in Hereditary or Frances Pugh in Midsummer. And Midsummer was my favorite film of 2019.
3: Halloween is the day for adrenaline, heart-pumping terror of what is and what can be. Whether it's a killer clown.
1: Speaking of surprises, kids, we have a very special guest with us today. Please welcome Art the Clown.
3: A horrifying Airbnb experience.
1: This is 476 Barbary, right?
2: Yeah, I'm renting this place.
1: I booked it a month ago.
3: Are you sure you have the right place?
1: Yeah. What are we supposed to do? Why don't you come inside?
3: Or a serial murderer who's been on the loose for over 40 years. What are you going to do when Michael comes back for you? Because he is coming. But this time, something feels different. He's more dangerous. This year's horror films are sure to have something to terrify you. And 2022 has been a banner year for the genre, with titles making 10 or even 20 times their budget. After the break, we discuss some of the year's biggest and spookiest movies and talk about what films are worth the nightmares. I'm Jen White. You're listening to the 1A Podcast, where we get to the heart of the story. Remember to join future conversations, download the 1A Vox Pop app and leave us a message. We're discussing the horror genre during this edition of the 1A Movie Club. With us is our unofficial movie club vice president, John Horn. He also officially covers arts and entertainment with KPCC, and he's the host of the Retake podcast. John, it's always great to have you.
2: I'm happy to still be unofficial, but I'm going to demand a (laughs) recount when it comes to the the polling on that one.
3: Also with us is Kimberly Elizabeth, the co-host of the horror film review podcast, Nightmare on Film Street. She's a horror screenwriter, writer, and filmmaker who directed a segment in the new horror anthology film Symphony. Kimberly, it's great to have you. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so
1: excited to chat uh, spooky movies.
3: All right. Well, let's get into it, John. There are a lot of spooky movies out right now in theaters and streaming. Before we dig into those films, I'd love to hear your thoughts on the general success of this genre. I mean, there have been a couple of surprise hits, including, um, let's see, there's Smile, Barbarian, Terrifier 2, and these are all original films that didn't put a lot of money into advertising advertising or have much in the way of, the, of a budget. But what's your take on why these pictures are doing so well?
2: Um, because they're entertaining. I sent a note to an independent distributor last night, um, and here's what he said. This is just the one sentence in his reply email. Younger audiences are absolutely going back to theaters, and horror plays much better theatrically than at home on streaming. I think that's it. I mean, I really think that's it. Overall box office numbers are still down about 22% from 2019, the first full year before the pandemic. So overall, the business is not well. Cineworld, the parent of Regal, uh, one of the biggest chains in the world, second to AMC, is in bankruptcy protection. AMC is hanging on by its fingernails. The overall theatrical market is not well, but horror is doing exceptionally well. And I think it's for that very reason. I think the pandemic showed us that we can stay at home and watch a lot of of content, But there's something to be said about big event movies, the Jurassic World's, the Top Guns that you kind of have to see in theaters, mostly because they're not going to be in streaming for a long time. And then movies that you want to share with strangers. I saw Smile by myself and I was sitting next to a couple and we were just kind of having a running commentary on the movie, <laughs> basically talking back to the, the screen. And that is something you cannot duplicate at home, and I think that's part of what is driving horror right now
3: I mean let's dig into the finances a little bit more. John Barbarian has made ten times its budget forty one million on a four million dollar budget terrifier two I didn't know there was a terrifier one, but apparently there was that's made more than five million on this i mean by Hollywood standards, a very meager budget of two hundred and fifty thousand. What do you make of those numbers?
2: Um well some of those numbers are I think the more impressive number are the smile numbers. This is a movie that was made for about 17 million dollars. It was originally going to be a Paramount Plus direct to streaming release. Paramount had a test screening. The movie played incredibly well. I talked to somebody at Paramount and they said typically, you know, a movie for a theatrical release can cost as much as 40 or $50 million, and they were like at a fraction of that because they did very good kind of grassroots marketing. The Paramount had a choice with Smile to play at the Toronto International Film Festival, kind of prestigious, or the Fantastic Fest, which is an Austin film festival dedicated to movies like Smile, and they chose to play at Fantastic Fest. I don't know if you watch any baseball, Jen, but if you Google Smile baseball fans, Paramount hired... uh, Wanna be or <laughs> up and coming actors to wear like smile t-shirts and stand behind home plate mm-hmm. looking very creepy. And you know, that doesn't, they bought a, you know, a, a baseball ticket for five or six hundred dollars and that, that caught virally. I mean, think about that. If you want to get that kind of exposure by buying media time, you're going to spend spend hundreds of thousands of dollars, if not millions, on TV. They come up with this idea to put people in smile t-shirts, stand behind home plate during, I think, mostly Mets and Yankees games, and it goes everywhere. So, it typically costs a lot more money to release movies than these studios are spending on releasing them. And because you can also do a lot of digital, very kind of niche um marketing so the return on investment is massive. Mm. And unlike Top Gun, where you're probably paying Tom Cruise a big share of the profits, these are you know first-time filmmakers, so you're keeping pretty much every dollar that comes in.
3: Well, let's get into the content of Smile. Lots of creepy visuals and, and jump scares in this film. And it's about a therapist who witnesses her patient take her own life after talking about being terrorized by a mysterious entity.
1: I'm seeing something no
0: one else can see except for me. <laughs> it's smiling at me. No! Oh my God! No! Yesterday, a patient in your care died brutally in front of you.
1: I need to find an explanation for what happened.
2: It's smiling at me. It's smiling at me. You're going to die! You're going to die! I found 20 cases involving 19 victims with a direct line linking them all together.
3: Kimberly, how does Smile rank for you in terms of the scary films out this year?
1: I think it was genuinely pretty scary. I mean, um, the creepy smile face, it it you never get used to it. And uh, the film pulls out all stops. If you watch the trailer, there's one smile in particular where uh, one of the characters' face turns around in like a 180 and... It still gives me the chills,
2: <laughs> John. What about you? I think it's incredibly well made. I mean, it's a first-time feature director, but it looks like a, a very accomplished film. Uh, Parker Finn is the is the director based on a on a short film he did called "Laura Hasn't Slept." Sosie Bacon uh, stars as the therapist. She's really good. Um, It is original. I mean, I think that's uh, the other thing that I think sets these films apart. I don't think Barbarian is quite as original as Smile, but Smile is an original story. You don't really know where it's going. You think you do, and then it goes somewhere else. Um, and it's well made. I mean, it's just, it's got good sound effects, good score. The cinematography is really good. There's some shots that are kind of upside down. It's a movie. I mean, it isn't just, you know, a thrown together thing. It is a well made movie. And I think that's part of its appeal that, you know, you can get some sort of movie snob like me who might (laughs) complain about editing or, you know, focus. And I'm, I'm not at all. Uh, paying attention to those things because it is exceptionally well made.
3: Well, interestingly, Smile wasn't set for theaters until the initial screenings went well, and then it led the box office on its opening weekend. Kimberly, it's also wooing international audiences. Global box office earnings are grossing over $137 million. Why do you think this film is playing well with audiences?
1: I think a lot of it comes down to the simplicity. It's it's almost like a curse movie and our main protagonist, she's trying to find answers and uh, we follow with her on that journey. We're really invested in finding out like what this entity is. And similar to, you know, The Ring from 2002, that, that story is just so compelling and so spooky uh, that we're just totally invested and along for the ride.
3: Have we always seen this sort of interest in horror as a genre or has it ebbed and flowed over time? Kimberly, I'd love to hear from you on that.
1: Uh, I think you have ebbs and flows. And I think particularly why horror is doing so well right now is that um, we've kind of been in a, been there, done that with a lot of other genres and we're seeing a lot of the same stuff over and over and over again. And I think, uh, audiences are are showing with their ticket sales that they want to see some original content and new new voices in the genre. And horror is one of the only genres that does that because uh, we like we were saying smaller budgets, smaller productions. They're able to take different risks that I think uh, the larger genres aren't able to do. You can't put a brand new director on a on a superhero picture with you know a three hundred million dollar budget. That's just too big a risk.
3: Now let's bring one more voice into the conversation. Kenitra Brooks is a horror scholar at Michigan State University. She's also co-editor of the black horror anthology, Sycoraxus Daughters. Kenitra, welcome back to the program. Hi,
0: thank you for having me. So happy to be here again.
3: Let's talk about the film Barbarian. It's about a woman who shows up to stay at an Airbnb, but another person is already staying there. She decides to stay, don't know why. Big shocker, things go wrong.
2: I don't know if you've got a great look at this neighborhood. But I don't think you should be out there by yourself. It's dry, and there's a lock on the door. By the way, I'm Keith. Tess. You take the bedroom, and I'll
3: sleep out here on the couch.
2: Oh
3: God. Keith. Now, Kenetra Barbarian was one of the films you wanted to talk about. Why did you like it? Um, For several reasons. One, because it it
0: focuses on um, a new horror uh, of uh, or terror that we have. It's Airbnbs, right? <laughs> We're actually walking into someone's home that we haven't been before and living there as if it's our own. And what if there are the household secrets, right? I think that's an anxiety that we are all dealing with. But I think also because... So much of the film dealt with the effects of men behaving badly right men who were um who uh committed sexual assault uh, men who uh kidnapped women uh, men who you know had horrible uh sexual desires and those sorts of things so it's it's everyone dealing with the effects of, you know, men not, you know, holding themselves up to the character they're supposed to.
1: What did you think of
3: the film, Kimberly?
1: barbarian i think was absolutely one of my favorites of the year it's such a strange film with so many twists and turns we were talking earlier about movies that uh that horror plays really well in the theaters and this was one of my favorite uh theater experiences of the year because you just absolutely don't know where the film is going and you really go on that journey with the audience it was such a loud screening i was in there was lots of gasps and laughs and so much shock um, because it's such a strange movie you have bill skarsgård who played Pennywise in the 2018 it remake and he's just such a interesting character because you're not sure whether you trust him you're not sure whether he's bad or good and so every time he's on screen you're suspicious uh, but there's so much more to the movie beyond that you have Justin Long who's hilarious and he plays this Hollywood sleaze ball so there's a lot of comedy there's a lot of scares and it just it really ratchets up for the for the finale mm, John
3: what about you
2: um, I thought it was really scary. I think we have to give a special shout out to whoever did the prosthetic um body design. I'm not I don't want to spoil what what, what you see right. in this movie. Let's just say let's just say it's not comforting uh, in the way it might be intended. And I think Justin Long's character is really interesting too. He plays a Hollywood actor who has been alleged to have sexually assaulted or actually raped somebody. Um, and then he is, you know, he's the landlord. He's the I'm sorry, he's the owner of the property. Um, it's, it's very clever in terms of what it has to say about a character like like that, who like denies, and is like, oh, maybe I did something wrong, I should be a better person. And then at mm-hmm. a moment where he has a chance to be a better person, he decides to go in the opposite direction. And it does have a lot of the tropes of the horror movies. Like, do not go down the staircase. Do not go behind the door. And I think, probably, Kimberly, that's what happened when you saw it. It's like, do not go down there. Do not go down that door. Uh, exactly. Do not open that door. It's because it's playing on all of the conventions and it's a great talk back movie. And I think, uh, I, I mentioned earlier, I think that's a huge appeal of horror and Barbarian absolutely plays into that. It's also another movie that barely got made. I mean, it was it was almost every studio passed on making it. The fact that it's being released by Disney is almost uh, too funny to be true.
3: Well, I- I'm curious to hear from you, Kanitra, about, I guess, sort of why you think we are attracted to this genre, especially right now. Like, when we talk about post-pandemic i mean that specifically in the sort of hollywood film version of that which means like theaters are reopened right like people are back to making movies and and even though we're still in a global pandemic hollywood has sort of made that shift why do you think we're attracted to these films is it is it about the catharsis is something about sort of confronting horrors on the on the screen that maybe we don't want to confront in real life
0: Yes, I, I I definitely think so. Right? Um, you know, we are at a time where cultural anxiety is at an, is just ridiculous, and horror gives us an obvious, clear cut bad guy to root against many times, right? Or gives us someone to a final girl or a final boy or someone to root for to live, right? There's a joining together that happens, particularly in those sort of communal uh, theaters where everyone is participating, everyone is is pretty much agreeing and rooting for the same things. And we just don't get that in today's society. Um, We don't even know what truth is anymore. And horror films break things down simplistically, this is good, this is bad. Let's go on this journey, let's work through some of your anxieties and provide you with a catharsis at the end
3: so you walk you walk out a little bit lighter, mm. right? We'll be back with more of our conversation on this year's scariest movies and the horror genre. Remember to connect with us on Twitter, tweet us at 1A. Now let's get back to our conversation on the success of horror at the box office and what scary movies really, well, scare us. Well, another surprise success this Halloween season has been the movie Terrifier 2. It's a sequel to the first Terrifier released in 2016. It's now made 20 times its budget of only $250,000. And there have been these reports of people passing out and vomiting in theaters because the violence is so graphic. And of course, the buzz actually made its box office performance rise by over 80%. Kimberly, how surprised were you to see this movie perform so well?
1: Uh, I'm definitely surprised as much as I think even the filmmakers are um, but I'm so proud of that little movie I mean it I've seen it it's it's disgusting it's gory it's it's everything it's being sold to be but it's also just this truly fun Halloween story and it's got a really good heroine at its heart and art the clown you're, you're never gonna forget him <laughs>
3: <laughs> John I'm curious what types of horror films are Pay, playing best with audiences right now? Is it is it about the gore or is it that psychological thriller that kind of makes you just sit on the edge of your chair because you don't know what's going to happen next? What's working?
2: Well, you know, there's a whole definition. There's the jump scare where, you know, you're going along and a cat jumps out of something or a car, you know, almost hits somebody. And and both, I, both Barbarian and Smile have that I think they also work psychologically. And I I think what um, you were talking about in terms of being invested in these characters. So this is how the Horn family works. We went to the movie. My wife and I went to the movies last night. My wife went to go see Tar because she doesn't care about horror. I went to see Smile. (laughs) And the thing that was interesting is like, she's like, Lydia Tar. I don't know. Do I care about her? Do I root for her? But you're 100% invested in the characters in Smile. And you can go all the way back to a movie like Silence of the Lambs. like. You don't like Hannibal Lecter; he's a serial killer, but you care about him. You want to know what's going to happen to him, and I think that's something that these movies do. That there's an investment in the characters that you don't necessarily get in in a normal narrative drama. And some of that is done through you know clever story. Both *Smile* and *Barbarian* are original stories, but it also they don't depend too heavily on the tropes. And if they're using the tropes, they're kind of making fun of them. There's a scene in, uh, there's a birthday scene, birthday party scene in Smile, where a little kid is getting a present. And I don't know about anybody else. I knew exactly what was going to be in the box. And it turned out to be exactly what I feared it would be. But everybody in the audience is like, oh my God, how did that happen? So there are the surprises and the conventions. And I think both films work really well in dealing with, them and kind of inverting them and subverting them when it when the when it's time to do it.
3: Kenetra, you know, we're talking about a lot of horror movies that are difficult to watch for even some of the bravest grown-ups among us. But, you know, Halloween is really about kids a lot of times. So what are some family friendly movies you could suggest for a family that maybe wants to lean into the spooky?
0: Well, Netflix has come out with quite a few, um, A few options. So first, there's The Curse of Bridge Hollow, which um, has uh, Sean Wayans in it, as well as the little girl who plays Erica from Stranger Things. And Kelly Rollin, one of Destiny's Child. Um, it was a little fun romp, um, very family friendly, and all about you know a family moving to a new place and learning a new town and becoming a father and daughter becoming closer together. There's also from the director of Coraline, there is Wendell and Wild, which has. Um, which has uh, Key and Pill in it, um, as well as Angela Bassett. So um, it, ju- it just premiered this weekend, and I'm really excited uh, because I love Coraline and excited to see this film, as well as everyone has been talking about Hocus Pocus 2, which came out a few weeks ago on Disney+, Plus, um, and a sequel to the very popular, very famous Hoka- Hocus Pocus. So that those are all family friendly romps that you can enjoy with
3: your children. Yeah, I, I really Red Coraline uh, as the, the, the YA novel. And I have to say they did a really good adaptation of that for film. It was pretty, pretty creepy. Well, we have to bring up Halloween ends when we talk about horror films this year. Now, this is the 13th installment in that franchise. And as the name suggests, it's set as the finale of the series. Kimberly, this film got pretty mixed reactions. What did you think?
1: I was a little on the fence with it. Uh, I think it was a very original take uh, for a finale film. They uh, they definitely will surprise even the most seasoned Halloween franchise fan. Um, but you got to give them credit for for throwing throwing some risks and really, uh, really taking some swings with a finale. Normally, you're kind of just expecting, you know, Lori Strode, the final girl to have a head to head battle with Michael Myers. And well, you're going to get that because it's a finale. There's so much more to the story that I don't necessarily want to spoil, but it's not what you're expecting.
3: Hmm. What about you, Kanitra? What did you think about it?
0: I didn't enjoy that it wasn't what I was expecting. (laughs) You know, I really wanted more of Michael and Laurie, and I thought that um, one of the other storylines featuring um, a character named Corey simply took away from that intimate dynamic that's been set up over 13 films and that we were really expecting to explore a lot more.
3: Well, you want to look back on the year and highlight some horror movies that stood out for you. Nope was popular with a lot of people I love that film. So this is Jordan Peele's third film. It stars Daniel Kaluuya and Kiki Palmer, and it focuses on these two siblings as they take over the family business of horse training on a remote ranch. But then they start seeing something in the sky. It was highly anticipated. Kenitra, this made your list of best horror films for the year. Why? You know, I was speaking with another
0: horror scholar, and um, she said that Nope may not have been the horror film that we wanted, but it was the horror film that we needed. And I think that that speaks to the reality that it didn't do as well in the box office, but I think it's setting up and will have so many... So, so many reverberations in terms of horror films to come. Um, I thought Nope was a beautiful film. I thought it was clever while also playing um, and inverting, and, and um, as John spoke of before, some of the horror film tropes. It played with Jaws, it played with Close Encounters of the Third Kind, but it was smart in very, very interesting ways. So, I would recommend everyone get as big as a television as possible so that they can really
3: enjoy the beauty of the film and go along for Peele's ride. Now Kimberly, one of your 2022 horror favorites is Day Shift. It's on Netflix right now and it's I think
1: it's the only horror comedy we have on the list today. What is it about? Well, this one follows um, almost like a vampire bounty hunter, and he's after vampire fangs because they're a super commodity on the market, on the the black vampire market. And uh, this one, it's a horror comedy, but it's also very much an action film. It's really well choreographed. There's a lot of fight sequences. It's sleek. It's fast and it's zany. So if you're a fan of, say, the the Evil Dead franchise or any of the more modern day horror films that are super, um, super active and it's just such a wild ride and very fun. The special effects are crazy. And uh, I just totally had fun with this one. Yeah. Jamie Foxx stars in it.
3: Snoop Dogg also makes an appearance as this, you know, sort of gunslinging vampire fighter. I actually did watch this movie and it was, it was, it was kitschy, but it was, it was fun. Uh, Kenitra, another 22, uh, 2022 rather, horror standout for you is Scream. Uh, now this franchise started in 1996. This was the fifth installment. How did it stand out for you when you look back as at the series as a whole? Well, not to date myself, but I was there at the movie theater for the Girl, 1996
0: same. premiere same. for Scream. <laughs> <laughs> And, you know, watching it with a group of people screaming and having a wonderful time. So it was really good. And and they're calling it a requel, um, like a reboot and a sequel. But it was really good to revisit the characters. I think they did a really good job of introducing new characters and bringing in the legacy characters. And it had one of the most perfect deaths that I've seen in a really long time. And one of the legacy characters is murdered. But it was a really good death. And, you know, when they are murdered, uh, Ghostface says, it, it's an honor to kill you, right? And I, I just, I loved it. I thought it was a beautiful scene. And um, I really, really enjoyed going back and visiting um, while also enjoying it with my niece, right? So, you know, she's, she's new to the f- series, new to the franchise.
3: And so I really enjoyed myself. Khadidra, give us your top two horror films of all time and why?
0: Oh, okay. So one of mine is 28 Days Later, similarly uh, with Danny Boyle. Fast Zombies, um, Easily Infected, Immediate Turn, um, as well as uh, Selena, who's one of the most kick-butt characters that I've seen and enjoyed in a very, very long time. Um, it has Cillian Murphy very early in his career, Um and I also really love um, Tales from the Crips Demon Night*, and it has Jada Pinkett and Billy Zane and it's so 90s and so fun um, and we also have uh, with the case in which we have final girls and two black final girls and changing the dynamic of who gets to survive the horror film in the end.
3: I'd completely forgotten about Demon Knights until you said that. I'm like, that's right. That film was a lot of fun. And 28 days later, I tell you, I saw that and started rethinking my cardio routine. I was like, ooh, I got to run more because oh, yeah, you have to be when I run these we heard from Ed who says, I have a lot of favorites, but I think I will rewatch 2015's The Witch, directed by Robert Eggers, set in 1630 in New England. It's creepy, slowly moves along, and the creepiness increases. Ed, listen, I watched that thing one time and I was, I barely, barely made it to the end. So, hat tip to you. Stephen tweets, I would very much suggest Cabin in the Woods. A very original take on the horror genre and makes you care about two different groups of people who are on opposite sides of the story. Great pick, Stephen. Kimberly, what are your top two favorite horror films?
1: I'm going to take us back to the 80s for mine. So my absolute favorite horror movie is Poltergeist. Uh, it's directed by Toby Hooper, who did the most one of maybe the one of the most iconic horror films of all time the texas chainsaw massacre it's written and produced by Steven Spielberg so it has that suburban family vibe that you just can't replicate anywhere else and Craig T. Nelson and Joe Beth Williams are the parents and they're so endearing and we fall in love with them so quickly and their whole family that when supernatural stuff starts happening we are so with them and we are so invested and the film also just really captures all of the aspects of what it would be like If you experience something paranormal, it's terrifying, but there's also something mysterious and, and there's awe involved. And so you see the scope of, of what a paranormal experience would be like. There's a terrifying clown. There's a bunch of different entities guarding uh, the littlest character, uh, Carol Ann. And you also have psychics and paranormal investigators. It runs the gamut of the ghostly experience.
3: (laughs) Well, when I think about, horror films I always think about the music, right There's like that's always a key element sometimes because it's leading you to a jump scare sometimes because it's just upping the the creep factor. I Kimberly, how do you think about music especially when you're approaching it from from a screenwriter's perspective
1: it's it's funny you mentioned that because uh, the film that we just released Symphony is, Enti- themed entirely around music, so each of the individual segments in the film, um, we we use a single song. So there's a single melody that's carried throughout the film, and each of the different filmmakers. Uh, took a different genre of the song. So in my segment, do us part. It's this kind of really surreal, ghostly story, and we went with a really '50s romantic song that's really slow and uh, kind of infects your brain in a, in a romantic kind of way. But we also have a country western version. Um, there's an operatic version with an opera singer, and there's a jazzy blues version, and it's all the same song in so many different ways. And I think that's that. that. That really says something about the horror genre, because there's so many different varieties of horror. You have silly, you have serious, you have horror with political messages and social messages and that are dealing with modern day issues. And just like music, there's so many different sounds of horror. John,
3: you know, horror is one of those genres that doesn't always get rave reviews by film critics. But do you think the success of the genre this year might affect the films we do see being greenlit in the future?
2: Uh, for better or for worse. I mean, the, the Hollywood <laughs> loves to chase a trend. So give us, uh, you know, give the town a year, year and a half. You'll be seeing, you know, g- goodness knows how many more horror movies. I'm sure there's going to be a Smile sequel. I mean, because it sets itself up pretty much for one, because the trend continues. And I suspect the director for Barbarian is going to get an offer. Yes, uh, it will be, as it always happens, it'll be too many and people will get tired of it they'll go away and then we'll have a renaissance and I want to point out the composer for Jordan Peele's films Michael Abels. He's done Get Out, Us and Nope. One of the best composers going and he's incredibly versatile. He has an opera at the LA Opera now called Omar About a Slave from Senegal. I mean, he the talent that you're seeing making these movies is unlike the talent you would have seen a long time ago. Um so but we're going to get some bad movies. We're going to get some bad horror very soon and we're going to get sick of it. And we won't be having this conversation in a year.
3: I'm curious to hear from each of you where you think this genre is heading next. We heard from one of our listeners about, you know, different people getting to tell these stories and bringing their perspectives to it. Kanitra, what do you think? Hmm, I think we are going to
0: hear from many other uh, marginalized communities um, uh, as we are having this sort of renaissance of black horror. We're starting to get more uh, Latino people involved. Uh, There has long been a queer presence in horror. Um, Harry Benshoff, who's a professor at University of North Texas, he talks a lot and writes a lot about it. So I'm excited to see what so many other folks have to see. And, And we also are getting more and more women directors involved in horror and getting these... Um, differing ideas of of what what horror could be and should be, and who it should
3: speak to. Kimberly, what do you think?
1: I absolutely agree, and I think with those new voices, we're also going to tap into uh, a resource that we haven't really utilized, and that's more legends and more myths and backstory and superstitions that we've we've only barely cr- uh, touched the surface with. So I think that there's going to be some really original stories um, that are going to be based in truth. Well, John, I'm going to give
3: you the last word here. And I just want to let you know that the 1A team had a little conference during the show. And we've decided you are now the official vice president of the 1A movie club. You, you've gotten the upgrade, friend. Go ahead. What do you think about a, where a, the genre's fr- heading? A free and fair election.
2: <laughs> Almost all the movies we've talked about are directed by white men. So mm-hmm. I think that's worth noting. And I think that is not entirely a good thing because i think we need to hear different perspectives because if you look at uh what happened in mastery look at what jordan peele's doing when you come from a different perspective you're going to tell a different story and i think that is important and it's worth noting too that neither the people who are making barbarian nor the people who made smile thought they were going to get any kind of meaningful release barbarian they didn't think it was going to get made because people didn't like the story Smile is supposed to go straight to streaming. So the very movies that Hollywood thought were not good ended up being good. So I hope that Hollywood starts to open its minds like this. I don't understand this, but audiences might. So I'm going to get out of the way. And then when that happens, then more underrepresented voices will get to tell their stories and we'll get to see more movies that don't fit in a normal kind of cookie cutter for- formula.
3: That's John Horn. He covers art and entertainment with KPCC, and he's host of the Retake Podcast. Also with us, Kenitra Brooks, the Audrey and John Leslie endowed chair at Michigan State University. And she's the co-editor of the black horror anthology, Sycorax's Daughters. And Kimberly Elizabeth, a horror filmmaker and co-host of the horror review podcast, Nightmare on Film Street. Thanks to you all. And aiding in our future nightmares. (laughs) Today's producer was Michelle Harvin. This program comes to you from WAMU, part of American University in Washington, distributed by NPR. I'm Jen White. Thanks for listening, and we'll talk again tomorrow. This is 1A.